Hello there and welcome to Racehorse Movies, the show where two film fans take a racing sheet from last week, pick a random horse name for each other and from that name pitch a movie. In the pitch, to flesh out our movie ideas, we may include such things as stars, directors, composers, best boys and stable boys. Maybe not that last one. Hoping none of our ideas have to be put behind a screen and shot. The sky's the limit, the horses are on the starting line, the jockeys are frothing. It's time for Racehorse Movies. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Racehorse Movies. My name's Graham Thomas, and I am joined by my dear, dear friend, Mr. Luke Searle. Hello there. I hope everyone is doing splendidly. How are you today, man? You good? I'm doing very well, thank you, man. This may be because of a short week uh, that we're currently enjoying, thanks to some bank holiday shenanigans, uh, which always puts me in a in a decent spot, man. But yeah, doing very well, thank you for asking, sir. Good. It's been a while since we actually recorded our last episode, so I assume both of us have been very good boys and spent a lot of time on our pitches. The silence <clears throat> tells you yes. everything. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, speaks volumes as a man uh, much uh, cleverer than I, as one said, I'm sure. Um, yes, we spent lots of time not going on holiday together um, and mm. diligently scribbling away uh, the tomes that will uh, in- encompass our pitches today, no doubt, man. That is exactly what happened mm-hmm. over at Thomas Towers. Yep. Non-stop scribbling. I didn't enjoy the sun. I didn't enjoy my holiday. I didn't enjoy Easter. I didn't eat an entire farmyard's worth of animals. No, 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 no. None of that happened. No celebratory chocolates have passed my lips. Uh, nothing. I've been very devout. Uh, I've been on sort of a, a vow of chastity, silence and contemplation uh, just so mm. I can get this pitch done. Um, nice. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, no, we have. We've been quite busy, man. We've been out and about. Mm. We've been enjoying things. Yeah. So that means that our pitches are malformed or ill-formed malformed they're gonna be lovely they're not malformed (laughs) they're like brundle fly man (laughs) my brundle pitch lovely well before we get into our lovely um brundle pitches have you seen anything worth reporting yeah nothing really of note to talk about apart from like eden lake um i watched uh, rewatched uh recently man which i thought was incredibly effective really really Mm. enjoyed it uh i haven't seen that and i remember it's got a real gut punch of an ending isn't it oh i mean it's got a gut punch of a start middle and ending man it's pretty (laughs) gut punchy as far as it goes it's kind of across the board from about the minute 30 in i think you'd suddenly get that and i like reading about the movie afterwards i saw it it was a a british french uh co-production and that makes sense it sort of fits in with the like the french new extremity movies like martyrs and uh Mm. frontiers and inside and movies like that in that Mm -hmm. you know you're going to get into this and the people aren't going to have a very nice time at all and there's Mm. probably not going to be much of a oh look it's all okay at the end kind of a thing going on man yeah Scary stuff. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, quick premise. There is a, a young, young in love, uh, we think, couple uh, go on holiday back to uh, the the man's uh, old stomping ground where he went on holiday with his mates. There's a beautiful place, there's a reservoir, there's this beautiful lake. We can have a marvellous time, we'll camp out, we'll be romantic. Mm-hmm. He's going to pop the question. Is uh, it in Scotland? Then... Is it set in Scotland, sorry? No, I don't or believe it... so. Uh, I can't England? remember. It's somewhere in England. Uh, somewhere okay. in England. Somewhere um, in England. There lies a gang of children and there is. <laughs> a gang of children who are at the side of this lake and they're just being like uh, rambunctious playing loud music being sort of like kids dicks like mm. kids are meant to it's fine you know <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what they do they're fulfilling their role perfectly and then yeah. um, it starts to get more and more uh, 
uh, unsettling, more and more violent, and the edge, uh, someone leaps over the edge as far as uh, what people should and shouldn't do, and chaos ensues kind of after that, mm. and these youths uh, set about torturing uh, this young couple, literally um, and otherwise, uh, and chasing them throughout these woods that they were they were camping in, and there's, um, <laughs> you know, a chase ensues and horror ensues. The whole movie, I like, it did the, uh, as all good horror should, reflecting the fears of our times, man, mm. and uh, how much uh, we were terrified of hoodies and that mm -hmm. culture and the youth culture that was happening back then and this is the perfect extreme reflection of that and it's, it's yeah. kind of fun watching that it might sort of lose its way slightly towards the end because it is it about mm -hmm. the is it about rich people being scared of poor people who live in the country uh, and country ways and all of that kind of stuff yeah. or is it about about the fear of youth culture or whatever it's maybe muddies itself slightly at the end but well worth a butchers man I highly recommend it. And I imagine it's pretty short. 90 minutes, in and out, done. Yes. Beautiful. Perfect. Okay, anything else? No, other than um, I think one that we both, uh, uh, I can say, enjoyed watching, that we both viewed uh, together, uh, but not together, but we watched uh, both of us, mm. uh, Quiet Place 2, man. Yes. Now, I've been thinking lately that on our lovely, wonderful podcast, which is a lovely, safe environment to say nice things and not to say bad things about people's work and effort and art, I might just buck the trend slightly and say that Quiet Place Part 2 is pants. <laughs> and not like clean, fresh, nice pants. Not that clean, have been ironed fresh, by your mum. No, yes, these are my pants after Glastonbury pants. <laughs> I was rubbish. I really, I, I've got issues with the, the franchise, I guess, anyway. I think I preferred it to the first one, though. I was going to say that, and I, I'm, I, you know, I'm coming on the wrong foot with with the quiet place too because i didn't like the first one it didn't agree with me i believe i said previously <laughs> and i stand by that it gave me it gave me tummy rumbles um so I, I came on a bad footing with it but i will say that it was better than the first one i think i enjoyed it more i was uh maybe because yeah. i don't know it was a smaller somehow a smaller story so there was even less to sort of worry about and i could just enjoy the very very sort of straightforward narrative and a couple of jump scares and a bit of threat mm. and then you're out kind of a thing yeah, I don't. wasn't for me. I don't like the. I've got too many questions, especially with the first one. Like, I, if it, it's safe to be near waterfalls because the waterfalls make noise and they can't hit. Live there. Live, why don't you. And also, a water supply. Yep. And you can do yeah, like but, sexy Timothy showers every morning. Yeah, exactly. Why don't they live next to waterfalls? But then, is the water, is this noise of the waterfall too much for the. So um, they just stay away from it, I guess. Because it's. Too much noise. And they're not drawn to it like they are with other noise that's like, ooh, tempting. There's a like, obviously, like tempting noise. Mm, hum, okay. num, 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 num. And then, like, oh, that's too much noise. And my head will open up and flap at you, kind of a thing. Yeah. And I guess okay. the waterfall is at the other end of that. But that's still good for them if they built a house there because they're never going to go there. Yeah. Live next to the waterfall. I don't know. That was the first film. The second one, the way that it's actually made i'm just confused as to why there's no diegetic sound that was really apparent in this watch of the of the quiet place too man yeah and i should we um for should i mansplain what diegetic sound is uh, yeah yeah please do man so yeah in filmmaking terms like uh diegetic sound is sound that's from a recognizable source so a song playing on the radio is coming from the radio it sounds like it's coming from the radio it's not the soundtrack it's not um the film scores or sound effects like that it's within the world itself um so they're trying to be quiet because that attracts the monsters but you don't hear any na natural sounds of the environment that they're in it's like t 
totally silent. There's no wind. There's no rustling of leaves. And be no clear, this ambience. is not the uh, the scenes in which we are showing the perspective from the young deaf, uh, like from the young deaf daughter. That is <clears> not what we're talking about. It is the the piece parts when, uh, for example, that the uh, the young boy climbs up the ladder, opens up that giant iron uh, porthole <laughs> cover, and mm. it, and and I was like, at that point, I was like, right, we're in the metaverse or is it's all that's that's very in at the minute so we're now in a different reality where they've invented like the best wd-40 in the world and that's just part of like the law of that yeah. world that they're in they've, they've nailed that one on this like, like if i opened that cupboard right next to me this is good i'm pointing on a podcast if i open that cupboard it would make some kind of a noise mm-hmm. and none of the footsteps none of the doors or anything make any kind of sound whatsoever it's bonkers there's a bit when she's one of the characters is walking quietly through a building and they, they rest their gun down they put their bag down they put all these things that have natural rustle There's nothing is absolutely it's like it's infuriating i didn't like it yeah i wasn't a particular fan of that but i certainly not and i think in the first one i just still hung up on the fact that everyone goes around telling everyone to be quiet uh why don't they make uh grenades out of alarm clocks old school alarm clocks that you can wind <laughs> up and throw like to, to, um, you know i think because um wily coyote's probably got all of them <laughs> <laughs> in his bunker. Is <laughs> that and the WD-40 man? He's hoarding yeah, exactly. both the little sides. So. Well, that's what we've been doing. Yeah, we've managed to squeeze a few uh, movies in there along with our gallivanting. Yeah. Well done, us. Well done, us indeed. So, while we've done that, shall we pitch some movies to each yeah, other? Yes, pitch some gosh darn movies, man. Some mother-flipping movies. <laughs> you bumblebee. So we've got a couple here from the 320 at Wolverhampton, I believe it was, the uh, standard race card for the 10th of March 2023. Mm-hmm. That is correct. And I believe I gave you the glorious mag named Harbour Vision. You certainly did. And I gave you the uh, rambunctious steed, otherwise known as uh, Dream Harder. Yes, you did. All right. So we're primed, we're horsed up, we're full of horse, Graham. Uh, which mm-hmm. of us is to uh, unleash the beast first? Um, well, if you don't mind, I think I'd like to go first, just to kind of... I would love that, please. Get it out of the way. That's the spirit. That's the spirit, yeah. I'm really let's, get this fu- let's get this fucking thing over with, for God's sake. <laughs> Something might happen. No, no. Um, as, as is the way it seems with my pictures, not necessarily fully formed from beginning, middle and end, but premise, set up, some things are going to happen, bit of development, yada, yada, yada. Groovy, man. Let's, let's hit it. Now, I did something here. I done, <laughs> Is this a confession? I have done something. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I have done something. Something that we haven't done before, and I don't think we've ever discussed whether we're allowed to Oh, this. sugar, this sounds a bit like you've gone off, off completely yeah, off reservation, man. man. This is off the books. This is a black hole. Uh, we're through Pat, the looking glass. punk rock. We are through the looking glass. Right. This is punk rock racehorse movies. I'm sweating, man. What have you done? I have made <laughs> a sequel stroke update with a film title, colon, Dream Harder. Ooh. So I don't know if that's against the rules. I, 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 I mean, it's so audacious that I'm, I'm having to rewrite <laughs> the rules as I wonder what the rules were and are, Graham, man. I, I've been called many things in my life, but uh, you're audacious. Audacious. Not been <laughs> audacious and bodacious, man. Back in the and 90s, bodacious. you were definitely bodacious. Okay. I was, I was pretty rad. Um, yeah, so Chariots of Fire 2, <laughs> Dream Harder. 
All right. Wow. Wow. Okay. Oh, my God. And not only have you just picked any old movie, man, we've got this. Yes. Mm. Of course it's allowed. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, so we're going to start at a school playing field in England. It's on a weekend. Um, it's rainy. It's cold. It's miserable. It's, you know, um, February time, winter. It's just horrible. There's runners on the cross-country track, rainy, miserable, cold, part of a running club. And we have that beautiful updating of the Chariots of Fire synth score as it comes in. (laughs) 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 It's quite close to the Halloween, actually. Like, stab, stab, stab. Uh, sorry, I yeah, could, anyway, shall so, I do this as, yeah. a, as a bedding track for the pitch? <laughs> yes, please. Um, like <laughs> the teachers Fuzzy from Bear. Peanuts are like yeah, just on like... the running track. <laughs> and Fuzzy Bear to the left, <laughs> also in the rain. That's <laughs> yeah, a fun run. Um, so we come to uh, these guys that are running around. Uh, we come to a guy in the pack, 18-year-old dude. Um, called Jamal. He's fierce, he's determined, he's got a great stride and a great engine. He's just a real natural runner. And he's got this big beaming smile on his face. Um, And then by the side of the track, under an umbrella, his family are watching proudly as he runs. His mum is shouting out his lap time as he races past. Uh, His father's cheering on, uh, his nan's shouting encouragement. And then... That's the opening, so you'd, you'd have that scene and then it would come out Chariots of Fire 2. I, I, can, I can see the minute that does, like the foot hitting the muddy pitch, explosion yeah. of water in slow motion. <laughs> so what? I, that's the opening start of the movie. Mm-hmm. And what we'll have, when I said Magnolia in reference to my favourite film of all time, actually, and Paul Thomas Anderson's absolute masterpiece from 1999. Multiple storylines. Ah, right, yeah. All occurring, right? All interlinking. Of these multiple storylines, I have Jamal's. (laughs) That's about it. it. I mean, yeah, that's that's one of many. Yeah, okay. So what what we're going to do, all of this, the the premise of this movie is... A teacher teacher at school is one of the other ones. Yeah, would be one of them. All of the movie is all leading up to the London 2012 Olympics. Okay. And the, and it's all leading up to Super Saturday, which was the greatest moment in British summer events history, I believe, with Jessica Ennis-Hill winning heptathlon gold, Mo Farah winning 10,000 metres gold, Greg Rutherford winning uh, the long jump gold. All that happened in about 45 minutes. It was just an incredible sporting moment. So the, the last act of the film would be those 45 minutes in real time in the stadium at Super Saturday. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing the Robert Altman between all of the different characters exactly. who've got there. Absolutely, man. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That's the, loathe to say the word, but that's my helicopter pitch. That's <laughs> like the, for this kind of... <laughs> that's the kind of the overall premise of this movie, yeah, these multiple storylines over different time periods all leading towards this one, uh, this Olympics and this Super Saturday. Yep, yep, okay, Absolutely. So in the winter, Jamal's in this uh, running club. I'll just go through Jamal's story because we haven't got all day and I, and I haven't got the inclination to make up 12 other stories on the spot. So. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I have a few. And I'll, I'll yeah, yeah, I can, my, you know, there's, ideas, there's, there's, people, there's so much went into like, made, like uh, all of the work at the stadium. You, you can pick some workers there. You can pick some dancers involved exactly, in the opening yeah. show. You can pick the teacher at his school who's there to support exactly. him and all of this kind of stuff, man. So 
Yes, Jamal, um, after trading, we have a nice family scene. Um, they're having dinner together. They're all engaged with each other's lives and they're all really super happy. And then at Jamal's running club, he, um, they've been selected for an overseas tour with another school in like 2013 or 14 or something like that. So Jamal phones, um, when Jamal finds that out, this is a further unseen, a few days later, he's at the running club, he's done training, um, he finds out that he's been selected to do this tour, so he's really excited about it. And he phones home and he tells his nan the good news. She's the first one who picks up the phone. She says she's very proud and that he's destined to be great and he's already touching greatness. She can feel that his journey is, is just beginning. Um, and Jamal's super happy and he's got his big beaming smile that we saw at the beginning of the film when he's running. But then on the way home, Jamal is hit by a car and unfortunately he, he, bad, he badly breaks his leg. And so that's kind of the end of his professional running career before it was amateur career before it even started well, really I, mate, all right who are you me what's going on <laughs> Sorry, I'm running you. like that 20 minutes and he's been run over <laughs> he survives good yeah sorry he, yeah he's, he's got an anecdote at least okay okay so like that's it kaput mm. no more mm-hmm. oh mate mm-hmm. okay it's pretty much over Flip. i mean he'll be able he can walk he'll be able to learn yeah to walk, yeah, yeah but and, like and to run, run like professionally at just, level. okay Christ, gone. Out, man. and so that affects Jamal quite heavily and he sinks into a depression because all his dreams and his future and everything now has just been altered irrevocably by this hit and run. Uh, he doesn't train properly, starts um, eating, making poor choices with his diet, um, just sinking into depression and sadness. Uh, he lets his physio slide. Uh, he's just not His really legs getting worse and worse. He's dragging again. Yeah, it was he's getting not so doing much the, better, man. Yeah, he's not doing the the physiotherapy exercises in his own time. He still goes to the centre, but he's not doing the stuff that they're asking him to do in his own time. So he's not really recovering at the speed and pace in which they would hope for for him. Um, But everyone is still encouraging him on. Everyone's still running around him. Okay. And then as we we leave the the winter, the spring starts, and it's approaching summer, and Jamal's running club that he's still a part of, he's still a member of, because his friends there and they all kind of encourage him. They don't and they've all been there. They all turned up when he was in the hospital first, like all yeah, together, exactly. and they kept on inviting him to all it's of nice the uh, running meets yeah. and all that kind of a thing, because exactly. they know they don't want him to get further ostracised. Yep, yeah, OK. Yes, exactly. So Jamal's uh, club tell him that there is a, a volunteer drive for the Olympics. So they're looking for, before it goes, volunteers for everyone else in the country they go to these sports clubs and say who wants to take part in it who wants to you know do the ticket check or security or like the lines or um manning the olympic village working concession stands or with the um with the athletes themselves you know kits yeah taking them to and fro making sure they're looked after and yeah washing all the equipment exactly and just making just making the games run basically um and jamal uh, declines the offer because he, though he's, he's gracious for the offer, he says it's too painful for him to be there and not to compete, even though he wouldn't have competed anyway at that event. But he will still see professionals. But that's where he, that's where he was going to be. His dream. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's an offer of his dream. It's, it feels like it's a bit of a sting for him, so he, he declines. 
And then later on, um, Jamal actually receives an invitation to the Olympics. Um, he has been selected as one of the best examples of youth in the country because of his, his potential and his setbacks. So what's actually happened is his nan has sent the application on his behalf and with a letter saying this is what he could have been, this is the greatness that he could Some have Some of the videos had. they took in all of his like, yeah. uh, previous wins and his amazing track records exactly. and things and he's like still that. Helping out. he's still helping out at the running club. He's still, you know, he's still there and being a part of it, even though he can't do it. Yes, yeah, so she's written this um, this letter, this application, which was probably you didn't need to because it's just it's just you know yeah, an application for volunteer. Granny passion, but it's, man, no, like, it's granny passion. Yeah. <laughs> and so she tells him to go then to just be part of something great, um, to see greatness and to win back that smile that she loved so much that he hasn't shown for months since the accident. Okay, so he decides. Okay, no, you're right. The summer's coming. This is the Olympic Games. This is in London. This is you know this is the greatest sporting event this country is known for a generation, perhaps. I've got to be a part of it. It's yeah. an opportunity. And it will help me. So he's trying to help himself a bit. So he goes and he gets a variety of duties. And it, this is this point is where the storylines that we haven't thought Quite, of yet yeah, 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 yeah. start to merge because it goes on for three weeks. So we get these kind of, these athletes or these trainers or these people or these builders or whomever um, all start to kind of interlink all the tapestry is starting to get woven together now. And this is where he meets Claire, who's a volunteer from Brighton. And they spend a beautiful sunny afternoon at the, at the aquatic centre, just checking tickets. She's, um, she's from Brighton. She's got a big shock of pink hair. She's really kind of alternative and cool and fun and vivacious and something that he's not really experienced before, having been in the running club and just his duties um, as a young athlete required him to kind of be, be focused, focused and yeah. concentrated and, and do that. So she's a real breath of fresh air. And obviously the, it's at the Olympics, so it's there's so much excitement and energy. It's really hot. And they just have this really perfect coming of age afternoon bonding together at the, at the aquatic centre. Um, but they don't see each other again after that because each day they get assigned new tasks so that everyone can get a flavour of the game. Some are in the village, some are in um, the velodrome or wherever it is. He's too shy to ask for her number or, they, or they, he loses his number or something. Or something it like gets that. blown out of his hand and goes in like a <laughs> rowing pool or something like that. The river. That's the one. <laughs> 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 oh dear, that job application for BBC Sport commentary is still <laughs> Look, waiting for him. My fervent reportage on the rowing pool and all its activities <laughs> goes down in history as one of the best applications I've ever had, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> they said I was too talented, uh, apparently. Too talented. Too knowledgeable. Yes, you know too much about our rowing pools, Mr. <laughs> Sell. We're going to have to politely decline. <laughs> Looks like you're making us all look bad <laughs> with your knowledge. <laughs> can't, we can't have this. Um, yeah, so they don't see each other um, again in the games, but he's always on the lookout for her and her pink hair. So we would follow him around over his days and he's getting... Has a few false flags or someone with a duster. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. someone with a duster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that happens as well. <laughs> and, uh, and then it build, we're all building up to um, Super Saturday, the big kind of climax of the movie for our storylines. Yeah. And on this day, um, on this particular day, he gets drawn out of the hat for the, the the prize, the greatest, probably the greatest uh, role or job going there, I guess, maybe. Um, he gets to be one of the one of the people at the lanes for the 100-metre men's final by handing the, the athletes their towel. Ah, the right, so right. there, right? 
So he gets drawn for the 100 meters final. You can't believe it. So he walks out. We we do that, like the similar to that shot in um, Gladiator, yeah, where yeah, they walk out into the, the Coliseum yeah, that's for the first exactly time. Exactly what I was just know? thinking. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, would be yeah, like shot, a main interest. Roaring yeah, exactly. crowd, the volume, he comes the ecstaticness of it all. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that would be our first time into the the main arena for the last 45 minutes of the movie. Which is so now we're locked in. We're locked into this this uh, arena yeah. now, man. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing fast and loose with the facts of history because I believe the men's 100-metre final ran on the Sunday, but they had heats on the Saturday, so it could be heat. It doesn't matter. That's yeah, not yeah. Integral. It's not integral to the story. What is integral is that he gets, he gets draws a certain lane. I'm going to guess it's lane eight, but it might have been six. I don't know. And he stands there, he has the towel, and on his lane is Usain Bolt. Amazing. And he can't believe it, like, standing two feet in front of him is Usain Bolt, one of the greatest sprinters the world's ever known. And uh, in the crowd, his family are there just to be part of the the thing, and they see him on the big screen, and they're cheering, it's quite sweet. And next to the family, a girl on her day off with pink hair just happens to come and sits down next to them. They start chatting and uh, share some sweets. And she says, oh, I really like that kid. He's so, <laughs> so cool. <laughs> but um, just before the race has started, when they're announcing the runners, um, and this is inspired by a true thing that happened, they announce Usain Bolt's name. He waves to the crowd. And he turns round to the kid who's with his towel and stuff and just gives him a, a little fist bump. And the kid, he has to be kind of emotionless and like a kind of professional. Like, yeah, yeah, kid, like, yeah, yeah. Where the kid just breaks, it's on YouTube, the kid just breaks out into the biggest beaming smile oh. you've, ever, you've ever seen. And it's projected onto the, the screens all around the stadium and his nan sees it and she realises, oh, she gets her wish because he's literally touched greatness. Um, and everyone's happy and cheers for him and he feels like something's left him and something... Something's happened. I'm yeah, the that. seal has been broken on his darkness kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah, on his darkness. And all this stuff that's led him to this moment, he's the, he'll be, like, feels the only person in history that could have happened to, and it's happened to him. Yeah. So that's, like, this big start of this crescendo of emotional storylines that will come to an end when the, the action on the stadium unfurls and it's like on this, um, in this 45 minutes yep. of action. So that's kind of the... The end of his storyline, what we have, we have a post-credits scene with Jamal, which is on Brighton Beach, and he's running, he's jogging with Claire. Maybe oh. they have a little dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's not running for competition or anything, but he's just love, he's running for fun and for love with her. His dreams have gone in a different way. They're new dreams now. It's a new start. And um, that's where we leave him on from his journey. Beautiful. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay. So that's the kind of the spine of the film. Yeah. Some, o- some other ideas we'd have as the Olympics play out, you would have different things in the different events. So maybe um, someone watching Nicola Adams win the first ever female to win Olympic boxing gold in the flyweight division. Someone in the crowd or a storyline that revolved around these key historic moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had an idea at the Olympic Village when during the games, everyone was just hanging out. It was really good fun. There was loads of bars and people from all over the world were just mingling. It was just wonderful. So I had this idea that the opening, or within the first few days, um, two people meet. And they were intended to go to the aquatics and they're intended to see everything. But they just, it goes into like a 
before sunrise kind of mm-hmm. segment where they just spend the entirety of the game with each other talking and drinking, going to pubs and whatnot, and the games are playing in the um, on the TVs and the screens around them. They don't actually see a single event, even though they got tickets, because they're just so wrapped Two, up each other. Yeah, into each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so they become, and the way that they're talking, they become like a Greek chorus for the film. So we, we drop in on them and they're kind of commentating on the action. Mm-hmm. You might see events happening. But my big central set piece, my Magnolia set piece, I don't know how well you remember the movie, but there's an incredible moment when they all, all the characters independently of each other start singing along. Yeah, the to, Amy Man. To the uh, Amy Man song, not going, uh, Wise Up. Not going think, to stop, that one. Yeah, that yes. one. Yeah, yeah, wise, yeah, Wise Up. That's it. It's an amazing moment and it's just such a culmination. Or it's a kind of... All these storylines, everyone's at their lowest point, I guess. Yeah. And it's just a bravura piece of filmmaking. So my central bit is with is with this couple, this Greek chorus couple, and they're in and Super Saturday maybe is about to start, or they're just getting so excited watching it in, in the pubs and everyone's just so happy and it's warm and it's summer and they're in love. And they have a bet. One of them says to the other one, I'll race you around the block, first one back to the bar to our, our drinks wins. And she goes, okay. And they go in opposite directions around the bar. That's the that's the race. Yeah. And so it's three, two, one, go. And they they take off and they, they start running. But as they turn a corner, they they come across a puddle and they jump. But they kind of, what it is, it's actually a race around the world. So they jump over the puddle, bam, they land um, on the Champs-Élysées and they're running and they turn a corner and they're in Rome and they then they turn a corner, they're running over sand dunes and they're, they're swimming in the ocean. It's this massive, um, fast-paced segment where they cross the entire globe basically to come back to where they um where they agreed to meet back in the bar yeah so you would have all these sports and nations that they're running through and i thought it'd be a really good kind of explosion of uh, culture and light and, and wonder and vision yeah that feels so, like uh, that, <clears throat> without reducing it at all but like the spike jones uh i think it was vodka advert back in the day that you had people mm. climbing through a train appearing elsewhere like a real uh completely fluid transition to loads yes, of wild locations that. kind of a thing man I, that, that's what i'm picturing when you say yeah that. exactly like that very uh, propulsive and just yep. full of joy and euphoria will they be running to- through like the actual um sporting events as sort of as they're happening kind of a thing yeah they could just yeah. affect that they could run through the um the stadium and then do a lap with the ten thousand meters and then climb up the stairs and then and like, like i can see them jumping over the boats or something over the river or something yeah, like that maybe exactly then. yeah and it would just be really kind of out of nowhere and joyous and fun because i want to every time i think about the 2012 olympics and olympic games in general if you get past all the kind of the corporatization sponsorships and the nefarious corruption and deals and stuff, yeah. if you actually just get to the sport and the emotion that it creates in people, it's just so wonderful and so joyous. That unification, man. Like, the absolutely. Unification. Yeah. It's so nice. Um, so I want a film that captures that. So will we have, like, when it starts, are we going to have, um, we obviously opening on Jamal with the doom, 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 et cetera, <laughs> and, that's, and then bang, he's in. Do we then cut, do we then start yeah. having this nice, like, we're going from place to place in a... Um, Richard Curtis-esque kind of a thing yes, for one of a, you know, it's, yeah, it's got that feel to it, man. That multi-character, we're spending segments with each and that, exactly. yeah, yeah, and then we get the 45 minutes where we're all in one place, we're all together, we're all meeting yes. each other. Wicked. That's exactly right. I have actually love, I have, much as I do not like the film, yeah, man. I, I have Love Actually as a touch point. I've got Magnolia, Love Actually and Chariots of Fire. So that is, I mean, we can probably lose Chariots of Fire 2012 
Can dream I mean, harder yeah, and, just, <laughs> and just call it dream harder, but I quite like it. I, I mean, like the fact, keep it, man. And I want to use the music. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- I mean, mainly because of our serenading each other and stuff. So good. So that is my pitch for Dream Harder. Green light. Chariots of Fire 2. Not forget the Chariots. I cannot stress that enough, Chariots of Fire 2. Dream Harder. (laughs) As for casting and director, I haven't got too much. In fact, I've got barely anything. All I've got is the soundtrack, because that's pretty much done already. (laughs) Are we just going to use the one we sang at the start of this? Yes. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I'm in. Um, I immediately thought Dexter Fletcher, man. I was... Yes. Like, he's so... He's he's got so much... uh, He's so good at passing his love (laughs) through the screen. That sounds kind of odd and a bit creepy, but, like, he manages to put so much um, empathy and heart into his films. He's really earnest, isn't he? He's no cynicism in his movies. I absolutely loved Eddie the Eagle. Um, I really liked Rocket Man, Wild Bill, all of his films. Really. Yeah, yeah. I think he's got he he could really and he's he we and know that he can deal the exactly that the spectacle the fantastical elements and we can allow mm. for some of that uh, Elton John flying above his piano kind of fantasy mm. and some of the sporting scenes and things like that definitely and to show these great wonders that he's displaying on screen he's really good at capturing that um, awe I think. I think so. I think that's a fantastic show. I can't think of anyone better. I'm not even going to suggest on Danny Boyle, maybe. But from his uh, connection to the 2012 Olympics would be a nice little inside joke, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that is, that's Dream Harder. I, uh, I'm definitely up for Dexter Fletcher and then uh, Danny Boyle on the, as a plan B. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we can have him in the in the background if we need to, man. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm in. I'm absolutely in for um, for a dream harder, man. Especially because you uh, cheeky use of sequels and colons. I haven't even mm. uh, told you off for this, man. Like you did it. You <laughs> you were again. So the, the word comes back again. So audacious, Graham. That so I didn't even. Audacious. I couldn't even react, mate. So you got away with yes. it, scott free, man. That's great. I got away and you've it. opened up potentially a few more doors for us as well. So thank you, mate. Bring a colon in. So Graham, man. Thank you very much for that. That was amazing. Uh, but, and, and I don't want to, like, come back to the well. You know, you've already slaked my thirst, but uh, did you have any alternative pitches that you uh, thought about for Dream Harder at all, man? I did, actually. And um, this also has a kind of colony epithety. <laughs> Have you double colon I've double colon It's one of a T... I don't know, it could be mainstream. It would be like a... Not a TV movie, but it would be like, I can imagine it, this one that I'm about to pitch on like Disney Plus or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm still sticking with sport. This was actually my first idea. As soon as you gave me the horse, this is what I, mm-hmm. I immediately okay. went I was like, okay. Then I kind of went, but definitely sport. Um, dream Harder, colon, the Peniel Harder story. <laughs> <laughs> Peniel Harder um, plays for Chelsea women's football team. And she was, I'm not sure if she is anymore, but she was at one point the most expensive player in the world. Wow. Like some, quite Wowzers. some margin. And the film would be a kind of a straight biopic of her rise, her exceptional, uh, exceptional talent, her rise to become the the, um, the highest paid player in the world at that time. Yeah. Also her activism and campaigning for LGBTQ plus um, rights. And it would be, yeah, that would be it. It would be like a, a straight biopic. 
See, can we shoot? Uh, can we pitch like documentaries? It has to be fiction. It does have to be fiction because, like, that would that would also. I could, I can see when you said can see when you you were saying about uh, it's it's popping up on Net, uh, Disney Plus something like that, man. I can see that the banner of it almost already, man. Mm-hmm. And again, I want to see it. I like inspirational. I like the happiness that this uh, title has brought from you, man. This optimism is beautiful. It's just oh, thanks. Like there was no there were no antagonists in that pitch, and that was so no. nice. That was so Not lovely. Hit and run, Kai. Yeah, obviously, we were like in the post credits, along with like the running. They're running <laughs> and they run past his car on fire and he's crashed. There we go. Sorted. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's the short pitch. That's um, awesome. Dream Harder, the Panil Harder story. Okay, dude. Well, thank you so much for the alternative pitch as well, man. Thank you for the happiness that your pitches have brought. That's lovely. Ah, you're welcome. You're welcome. So that brings us on to hopefully more happiness i don't know you're looking very gothy today i know i've got a black t-shirt on the way oh, oh no. no what have i done i put eyeliner on as well graham <laughs> i listened to welcome to the black parade <laughs> i don't know what to do i put holes in my jumper sleeve so i can thread my thumbs through oh this is going to be dark and scary no it's not it's going to be whatever it is and i don't care if it is dark and scary oh, it's going to be wonderful thank because you. you invented it now we are going to listen to your wonderful pitch for harbour vision we certainly are okay graham are you going to uh a little bit, a little bit ready to go back in time with me uh i am more than willing to go back in time okay thank you man we're not time traveling so don't get too excited but we are okay. dealing with an inventor um okay young maurice jeffrey he lives in a place called Follows Well in England in 1912. So that's the time we have diddly duped back to. Uh, he is a lovely gentle science teacher. He's a hobbyist inventor, and his house is full of these strange, like Doc Brownie-esque uh, inventions. Doc Brownie, Doc Brownian, uh, maybe uh, <laughs> inventions. Doc Brownie-esque. <laughs> Brainscarf. <laughs> um, <laughs> loads of inventions all over the place. A chaotic, <laughs> lovable man. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet Maurice laid in his bed, giant headphones over his ears, these big cans, you know, like kind of really old, giant, ginormous things. They could almost have some antennae coming out the top. Um, It's attached to this like gently pinging machine showing like these little pips on an oscilloscope and like next to his bed is this rudimentary home bodge tea station and the the alarms ringing, toast popping out the toaster, a clockwork mechanism pulls out the toaster, lays it on a plate and three knives smear (laughs) butter and jam all over it. So think Wallace and Gromit that's where we're kind of at man Uh, successfully there's no burnt toast these things work they're a bit clickety clackety but they work man okay uh a cup of tea on a hot plate begins to steam next to him and maurice snores on with his cans all over his head uh the tea starts to bubble flipping frantically uh the cup finally gives in and explodes the hot beverage all over maurice he wakes up with a start and a start and a howl his wife runs in in hair curlers maurice for goodness sake we listen to the squirrels again she snatches the headphones off his head as he comes to looking sweetly baffled what remaining hair he has in little tufts oh god sorry oh sorry darling am i late of course you bloody are, darling, she says. Plants a tender kiss on his forehead. Shower, toast, school. Quit sharp. Uh, so we get to see him have a frantic cycle through the village he's in. Um, he's hailed by lots of the folks who live there, like the butchers, asking him to come and fix a meat slicer that he invented for them that's playing <laughs> merry hell with the top side, all of that kind of a thing. Mm. So we see young Maurice at school. Uh, reading through some correspondences, one of whom is uh, Paul uh, Langevin, a French inventor, uh, who's awfully excited about Morris and the work he's doing listening to squirrels. 
Uh, we cut to Morris in a lesson teaching young, totally absorbed kids, showing off this massive orrery that he made, uh, which clanks and grinds itself around the class, and Jupiter starts to go a little bit too fast and falls off. Uh, and at the door stands a very tall, handsome, suave-looking fellow, William Broom. Uh, this is Maurice's university friend. And he shakes his head in a, oh, dear old Maury sort of way, nods to Maurice through the window of the classroom, and both men smile. So he's got an unexpected visitor. His university friend has come from uh, the big city. Of course, Maurice invites him over for dinner, wanting all of the news from the big city and to live slightly mm-hmm. vicariously through William about the life that Maurice could have had if he'd followed him uh, into the government after university, which is where William Bloom uh, went to. <laughs> uh, but Maurice is totally happy. He loves his family. He's got Ruth, his wife, Jenny, his kids, and he gets to help people out every day, making little inventions and teach and uh, influence these beautiful young minds that he connects so easily and well with every day, man. So... He invites uh, William over for dinner um, and Ruth is immediately against it. This is after what he did to you back at university, Maurice. Mm. We, we, we were just boys, love. It's all in the past. And she's like, look, he nearly got you thrown out of university, Maury. You were men and he bloody well knew what he was up to. But mm. nonetheless, Maurice invites his good old friend or maybe not so mm-hmm. good friend or, you know, uh, accomplice uh, over to dinner for that night. And when there, William Bloom Broom regales them with self-important talk about his job uh, working for the Secret Service Bureau. Uh, he starts to hint that there are some rather bothersome events at play overseas. Uh, nothing that we can't handle, though, so don't you worry your little head about it, he says to <laughs> Ruth, who, uh, if you could look any more daggers at him, looks a couple more in his direction mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And don't you worry about it either, Maury. You stick to your tinkering, old boy. So throughout the meal, William keeps on throwing barbs at Maurice and his work. And don't feel bad for not following with me, old boy. Wouldn't wish it on anyone. You know, God, all those lovely events one has to go to, all the champagne. Mm. It's a nightmare. <laughs> you would never fit in. Um, and he lays. Sounds like an asshole. Oh, he's a, yeah. He's he's, he's not a, he's not a nice dude. But Maurice is an mm. accommodating fellow, man. We saw mm. that on his ride through the village. We see him helping bits. His natural yeah. instinct is to go out there and tinker, make things better, man. That's what he wants to do with all his inventions and all his energy. He's a good dude. Um, he lays a few more, this is William, lays a few more hints that things that play over in Europe are not good, not good at all. Uh, and he also asks when Ruth interjects, uh, like, what's with all this squirrel talk at the table? You guys keep saying he's listening to squirrels, what are you talking about? And then Maurice finally, his eyes light up at the table, man. He's not just being put upon and put down by his mate. And he says, well, Jenny and I, we adore animals, of course, and we, they take great pleasure in tracking squirrels or little fellows, as Maurice likes to call them, (laughs) in their back garden. They've got this massive great hutch, and uh, Maurice has invented this large machine that looks like part radio, part seismograph, and explains how each of the little little ticks of the monitors on the paper are actually squirrels and their locations within the hutch. And it's like we can follow them everywhere and see exactly what the little fellows are up to, man. This is quite a marvellous thing. William, despite being a complete prick, is... (laughs) Quite impressed, silently impressed, man. And Maurice gets his little victory at the end of this meal, man. He shows him that he is living a great life and he's inventing great things. And look what he can do, man. Look at the fun I'm having, William. Why would I want to be there with all your bloody top-notch, top men and all your meetings and all the stress (laughs) and terror you have to go through and the fact... Exactly, top men. Top men. So, unfortunately, all of William Bloom's uh, prophesying uh, was true. Obviously, something was going horribly wrong in Europe at the time. And war begins. 
Mm-hmm. Maurice and his family are, of course, horrified. He is too old to go and serve. He's 50-odd now. Uh, but what he can do is sit back and watch the newsreels that start to flood mm-hmm. into their little cinema. And we see the family in front of them completely agape. Maurice is absolutely heartbroken to see machines doing such terrible things. So while that is happening, we get to see William, Mr Bloom at work, who sees the war as a way to go about furthering his own career, really. We see him in meetings with his bosses, uh, just a few rungs beneath H.H. Asquith, the Prime Minister at the time. There's been um, a U-boat attack off the coast of Mm -hmm. Scotland. The Germans are in the King's Waters, and this cannot stand. The sneaky bastards are in and out undetected, and the first we know about it are 250 lost souls. They need results, they need defence, they need to win, and they need to win quickly. So William goes back to Follows Well. He goes back to Maurice. This time he's a little bit less bold and he's a little bit more cap in hand. About that squirrel machine of yours, old boy. It's the most confounded thing, but it's just kept on rattling about the old noggin. William asks Maurice if he might be able to make something like his little machine, but bigger. Maybe one that can see things beneath the waves. Mm -hmm. I see what's happening. So, William manages to give Maurice a little bit of money. Sort you out some funds, old boy, a little something to get you started. Try and keep it on the hush-hush, though. Maurice buys the best technology he can. He's a diligent scientist. He uh, corresponds with Paul uh, Langevin, Langevin, sorry, that was terrible pronunciation, um, who is his scientist friend in in France. And he says that this is the sort of task I've been given, so he gets some advice on the materials he might need to do and the kind of things that he might want to go about uh, doing to make this contraption of his work on a larger scale. Obviously, Maurice also enlists the kids at school that he teaches. Do they... Do they want to do it for King and Country? Do they think that actually this is a war, this is for the war effort, this is going to save lives? Or are they easy, reluctant in some ways that I don't want my machines used for death and destruction? Well, that is a massive quandary with Maurice, because as he starts to find success in the machine that he's making, he does start to make it more large scale. He hasn't got it to work underwater yet. That's the one thing he's not sure how to crack, but he can do it on land and he's done it. He's done the playground, man. He's got the kids all out. We've got a lovely montage <laughs> of them all. He's got frazzled hair. He's touching electrodes, like all of that kind of stuff, man. And the kids are running all about the playground and we're seeing those little seismographs hitting away the locations of the kids on paper kind of a thing. Things are starting to work. And, and as... Like this thing gets more real and better. Like Morris is Morris is suddenly like, well, oh shit! I'm starting to realise that I'm not just saving lives if I do this. I might well be targeting people <laughs> for right. Is this something that I want to keep doing? But like, mm. what is where you know him and Ruth like will he obviously will spill his heart out to her uh, nightly and she's saying like look William's doing it again to you man this is the kind of pain that I saw you in back at university when he was messing you around and using you for his own gain and not caring about how you feel because I'm the one who cares about how you feel because I have to deal with you when you're like this all the time and it's it's you're starting to get like you used to be man you're starting to get caught up in yourself and I understand why because it's a massive thing but don't let him do this to you again don't let him do this to us so we cut back to William uh doing his big wig meetings uh he's just ended another disappointing call from Maury and this has been you know months a couple of months now like the U-boat threat is a complete terror still. Um, they are out there. They are not being monitored. We don't know how to get that, man. 
he doesn't know what to say now to his top bosses who he's kind of probably overpromised to because it's William Broom and he's sweeping the place clean and he knows what to do. He's a capable man uh, and he's not delivering anything from his side of the fence. And he walks into a room full of top men and they're all sat around the table and he's got absolutely nothing. And some of the uh, competitors, some of his other workers, his peers, are coming up with some results from France. And they're saying, well, actually, we've got a fellow over there who thinks he can probably see underneath the waves. (laughs) But we also have news that there are spies now that are starting to infiltrate um, the uh, the borders of France. Um, We're starting to become at risk. And we think that they are going to be, they're going to be hot on the trail of this. And they're going to either sabotage you or take the idea for themselves. And so William says, well, how about we give them a little misdirection? And I'm not going to give the full name, but I do know someone who's working on something that we could maybe let slip on and send them his way as opposed to the successful way, because he's a good man, but he's a bloody idiot. Let the French have their victory and let us help them keep it a bloody secret, eh? I can help you here, guys. I've got a red herring for you. I can, we can mass redirect all of their attention over here. And so he gleefully, to remain in the conversation, throws poor Morris under the bus. And he says, mm. well, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to start seeding this misinformation that everything is happening and follows well. And that is the place where we are making large, massive breakthroughs in the technology, thinking that Morris is just there screwing everything up like he normally does, really. So... Back to Maurice. Uh, one night, he, Ruth, Jenny are working late, climbing round in a freezing cold swimming pool, trying to get something to show up on the bloody seismographs that their father works <laughs> at constantly at the other end of the pool. Jenny is walking along the side. She slips, she falls in. Uh, she gets entangled in some of the wires. Maurice obviously doesn't even think about it. He dies straight in after a man. <laughs> and as he's down there and he's lifting her up and saving her back out into the open, she's absolutely fine. She's climbing out. And as he's down there, he can hear Ruth screaming from the other end of the pool and he can hear he's like yeah wait a minute i've been using radio waves why don't i try they haven't been there's been nothing getting through this water let's use sound waves man and he runs back and pens a letter to uh, paul and he says my dearest paul i have begun to sing for my squirrels beneath the waves and not long after this breakthrough moment now tension drama terror a mysterious man arrives. He's very quiet, focused, somewhat intense. He introduces himself as Frank Spittle. So we know he's a goody. Uh, he Pretty says he knows... Like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Spittle. Is he from Harry Potter or something? <laughs> yeah, it's like Dickens meets Potter. It's, yeah. oh, Frank Spittle. Hello, governor. I'm covered in spittle because <laughs> I spit a lot when I talk because I'm a baddie. Uh, he says he knows William. Uh, and he's been sent to help Maurice. Maurice is obviously, he wants to call William and confirm, but William's gone well quiet of late. He's ignoring Maurice because he's thrown him under the bus, and he feels, even William is feeling somewhat guilty about selling his uh, mate up the wazoo. So luckily, uh, Maurice, he is, uh, he wants to go on um, working with this new breakthrough that he's just uh, had. Montage, number two. Uh, (laughs) Now we see Maurice and the kids experimenting in water. Uh, Montage again. So in the background, we always see, like, Mr. Spittle. He's always, like, happening upon them as they're experimenting in the pool or just walk, just happens to be walking past the... Uh, and he's, he's got, like, a newspaper with the eyes cut out, stuff like that. Of course, that. dabbing the corner of his mouth with his handkerchief. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, he's always just got a hanky out the side of it. That's his, like, thing. He's just spittle got a dribbly rag. hanky. Yeah, spittle... <laughs> 
so he's he's sort of like there. Um, he's always been shushed Thanks, away. People. They're having to keep him off. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, like, Ruth is the saviour here because got a clearer head than Maury, who is just constantly at the pool. He's constantly researching. Ruth is in and about the village, man. She's at home. She's seeing uh, Mr. Spittle <laughs> lurking. <laughs> Lurky Spittle. Spittle. I can't. It's too... did, she, did she find out when it was written down that it's... Um... Spitzel. It's actually German. <laughs> well, well dude, dig this, man. Dig this. Because this is where everything starts like slightly. I know what's gonna happen towards the end, man, but like this is where I'm like, and I've I've written down in my notes here, Ruth overhears or spots something odd about Frank, spending some time helping him to settle into toe, uh settling into the town. Maybe he stubs his toe and cries, Schweinhund. <laughs> <laughs> mein Gott. <laughs> so like Ruth is looking out for 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 poor Maurice because he's too innocent and lovely man, and she's keeping her eye on this shifting newcomer in town. I know that Ruth will be the one to foil this. Uh, uh, spo- spoiler alert: the German mm-hmm. spy Frank Spittle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to end in a uh, tense chase around like the family home, and all of the inventions that Maurice has made are going to be like tripping up Frank at every kind of turn, uh, ending in okay. uh, Frank backing up. Uh, against the mirror that tied the tie around Maurice's neck um, at the start, uh, uh, and from, and it chokes him to uh, I, unconsciousness. It, de- okay. it incapacitates him. I don't yep. want to. I'm not going to. I don't. I, I, I'm kill free, man. We're going kill free, baby. Yeah, let's go kill free. I'm feeling good. You've inspired me. After Michael your... Myersy, that little sequence. So yeah, yeah. I think think more Home Alone. We're pitching that Home Alone yeah, kind okay. of a thing, man. So he's getting Mallet entangled in all of these things. He's getting like little shocks off of stuff. Okay. So while that's happening, obviously Maurice has created. He's managed. He's managed now to spot things underwater using sound and not radio waves, man. And he's making those little graphs tickle their way across the page and it's an absolute breakthrough and he has done it on a larger scale in the uh, village's bay and he says here we go ladies and gentlemen i give you harbour vision this will allow us to see the things that lay beneath the waves yeah (laughs) done so we've had like the germans come in the spy um Mm -hmm. there's been drama between ruth and he and then we need maurice and william to like settle their bets I think we'll do it in the uh, swimming pool where they first do their tests because of all the recording equipment that we've got around there already, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we will get the confession uh, from William Bloom. He'll slip into it in a rage, you know, fighting back again. I did it for king and country. How dare you, Maurice? You... And they get this outpouring. Young Jenny is obviously behind the boards as her father and he uh, rage against each other at poolside. And she will record... Um, like William's uh, sort of confession of sorts upon the very instruments they use to, and that's that's about as far as I got, man. That was that was kind of the the end bit all got a bit bit smushed together and rushed, but that's what I want to happen. That's okay. where it's going. Can William Broom actually be a German spy? Absolutely, absolutely. That's way better. Okay. So he. So are we ditching the? Other, are we ditching Spittle? No, we are certainly not. Oh, Frank my. Spittle <laughs> is in this movie, <laughs> but I think maybe because who put Frank Spittle onto him is William Bloom did. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think William Bloom needs to either be doesn't need to be it could be anything you want. It's your story, um, like a, a German spy or someone who's into agency, kind of like a war profiteer. 
Yeah. So, it, like, all his shtick is about, I'm doing this for king and country, blah, 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 blah. But really, he's just doing it for the highest bidder. Doesn't He has no real allegiances. He has no real talent. He's very... So I think maybe William Broom um, capitalised on Maurice Jeffrey's invention or whatever it was at university. Yes. Rode those coattails. And as Steve Jobs, he's just very slick at marketing himself and marketing things. And that's how he's greased his way up the... The ladder, but really, he's he's got no allegiances. He's got no depth. He'll go to the highest bidder. So maybe he has been turned by um, the Germans or something like that. He yeah. is something that he's not doing it for king and country. It might yeah, I love that. That's as specific as he's a German spy. It's just that he's yeah working he's for wearing suits. Yeah, okay. Well, that's yeah. great because like he will have nicked um, uh, like a little uh, recording microphone or something that Maurice worked on sort of back in the day for his university thesis, or he. He did throw some wording in a patent that they patented at university, and it just meant that William Broom got yeah the sole the beneficiary of all of the so, yeah, 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 like yeah. loads and um, and kudo because that's what matters to him as well. Yeah, and Maurice didn't get he got some, but not enough. But for him, he didn't really. Okay, so in that case, we have the boathouse confession. Um, <laughs> that's a great two thousands band, isn't it? <laughs> the boathouse confession so we have that and he is also outed as having being a spy or oh, there's a better way we can out him i guess maybe mm. we get uh maybe spittle can have something on him or about his person that is from william that suggests that he has sent him directly yeah. to uh maurice is that the end for Maurice, then he goes back to his lovely life. He doesn't, he gets a thank you from the government for exposing He gets a medal, absolutely. He is recognised for service to the king and he has a lot of the recognition that he never got because of the kerfuffles um, at the end of his university uh, career, thanks to uh, Broom uh, and his involvement. Oh, can he, um, at the end, can, and they're like a coda or like a do you know do you know one like two years later or mm-hmm. however many years later when Jenny's a little bit oh no when Jenny's a bit grown up she's like seventeen or eighteen or something and she goes to the same university and they've named a little laboratory after him yes yeah yeah, yeah. Little, yep. not not necessarily like a wing but just something very small like the reading room or something like that and um, yeah the nook yeah the nook and it's just his little little plaque and she just polishes it a little yeah bit. and it's got his uh, orrery on it. Mm. Uh, and going around, man, still yeah. Jupiter wobbling, and that's her dad's space. Nothing, nothing huge and grand, just something nice and quiet and simple for him that they, they rec- in recognition of his work in the war, for the war effort, or f- and past, um, past uh, achievements, and maybe in uh, recompense for their cock up at not recognizing his his abilities talent sooner yeah. yeah that's that so he goes lovely. back to his happy life and his inventions and yeah and he's back cycling around fixing the fixing the butcher's yeah. slicing machine and the automatic nets man that's where he wants to be oh, super sweet i like it heart division yeah happy with that there we go okay that was amazing i really enjoyed that a lot it's really sweet and gentle which i think um is a bit different from you, actually, from what you... <laughs> no, normally I'm rough and awful. Who do you want to talk about directors or casting or who have you got? I've got quite a few on the casting list. So casting, I didn't have anyone bar Toby Jones as Maurice. That was all I could think. <laughs> I've got Toby Jones. I've also got Toby Jones for William Broom as well. Oh, nasty Broom. Nasty he can broom. do he can do an absolute slime bag, man. I reckon he could do a really good slime bag. I reckon he could do arrogant really, really well. Yeah. Yeah, he can. So, so I, 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 in both columns, I've got Toby Jones. But Toby Jones is Maurice. Um, 
Jeffries. Uh, yeah, I could just see him just like that, that the lovely uh, detectorist kind of uh, air that he has about him, man. For uh, He's the only one you've got for Maurice Jones. Yeah, that was, Jeffries. that was all I had. I've got eight. Holy moly. Right, hit yeah, me with some. Like, Let's go. I've got an addition, a spotlight edition. <laughs> you need not like a football team of Maurice's. I've got a football team, yeah. Um, so my top, when you, as soon as you said him, well, you described his day cycling around and stuff like that. Hugh Bonneville. Oh, he would be, yeah, he'd be absolutely fantastic. And he looks great on a 20s bike. He, he would look great on a 20s bike, yeah. It's very last of the summer wine, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. He might be a bit old, but I've got Jim Broadbent. Yeah, he might be. He can be, no, I'll have him as one of the top men. Top Top men. men. We should explain why we've been saying top men like this. It's from Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Yes. We've yeah, got yeah. Top men on this. Top yeah, yeah. Like we've given men. it to top men. Top men. Um, then I've got Eddie Marsan. Oh, excellent. Let's sing. Let's sing his uh, praises from the roof as much as we can. So yes. Yes, he should be in everything. I've got Colin Firth. If we were going down prestige, handsome casting route, handsome, charming. Bit, yeah, a bit handsome. A bit too handsome. Well, he can do really nice, earnest and sweet. Very, very well. And he's a grade A movie star. So he, he is, get, yeah. He'd get some fun, funding going. Yeah, then I've got Toby Jones. Then I've got I've got three wild card choices. I've got Alfred Molina. Oh, oh that's really good. That's really good. I like Alfred Molina a lot, man. Um, I've got him. I've got Stephen Rear. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of I could I can imagine him with the the bushy hair and it all kind of ha- and not haggard, but just hang kind of, dog un- maybe hang dog, but yeah, in a happy way. A, but and yeah, I'm happy my face yeah. doesn't look that you know that that way kind of a thing. And then yeah. going back to movie star and young girl, actually, you said fifties, so I'm not sure we could do this. We could probably age him up. I've got Martin Freeman. He he we we could definitely pull him off as fifties man without a doubt, and he's got that like. Um, it feels like half of his mind is on something else all the time. And I don't mean that mm. to be that he's a bad actor or like anything like that. It's just he's good at making the characters that he's in seem as if they're thinking a lot. Mm. A bit like Michael Keaton does in Batman, where you're like, yeah. oh, he's thinking about being Batman, even though he's Bruce Wayne at this point, that kind of a yeah, thing, yeah. man. So, I I, yeah, I like that. Okay, I could, yeah, friend. okay. For William Broom, who have you got? Uh, Dominic West. Oh, that's a great shout. Yes, I didn't even think of that as a good shout. Yeah, okay. And that was that was it. That was more. that was all the way. I was just it. yep, yep. Okay, I've got for William Broom going for the Hugh Bonneville kind of age, maybe slightly older. It's I don't know. I've got one, two, three, four. I've got five actually. Oh, this is amazing. This is great. Right, I've hit got, me. Um, Karen Hines. Oh, flipping oath, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's. He looks good in a suit. He's fierce. He looks good in a suit with his hair kind of slicked. And yep. I can imagine him as, as a government spook kind of guy in that time. Got- yeah, he's got, he's got a face made for like being half in shadow, man, like a spy. <laughs> yeah. And that's not because he's not, not, not because I don't want to see all of his face. It's just, it's very yeah. dramatic. And it's a good half. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Karen Hines. I've got Jeremy Irons. Perfect. Yeah. Gonna be good. I've got Toby Jones again. Which I think as would be quite discussed, I would like to see yeah, switch it on his nose. I've got Hugh Laurie. He's, uh, I think, I think the night manager. I think he's very good at mm. being those kind of compromised, posh, suave, spy-like types, man. Yeah. Yep. And I've got Richard E. Grant. I kind of like E. Grant because mm, I think he obviously he, he can do charm by the 
bucket load. But danger as well. But danger, yeah, he do the charming danger. I can imagine him, I can imagine his energy when he's in the boardroom meetings, like working sides off, having to think fast on his feet and like throwing Maurice under the bus. Yeah, yeah that, and, and that like you can see him, like him. the fidgetiness of him, absolutely. Yes. Like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, and he's, he's twisting something with his hands. Yeah. Like, oh, hold on a minute, guys. Yep. I've got an idea. <laughs> right. Frank Spittle, I've only got one name, but I wrote down immediately as you said Frank Spittle. And then as we develop that character further, um, this is totally inappropriate casting. So. But I've, the only one I've got is Ray Winstone. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want Ray Winstone to barrel into this movie. Bosh. Bosh. Spill. Frankie Spittle. Now nah, you can trust me, darling. Let me in the ass. I just want to have a look at the squirrels. What's for breakfast? Two egg, double sausage, tomato. Pinky, pinky, boo. <laughs> Ray Winston, man. Yeah, I. I mean, I had. I had maybe. Um, if you put Ray Winston into an opposite machine, out the other <laughs> side would come uh, Ben Wishaw. My uh, my choice. <laughs> I think he might be the polar opposite to a Winston. Is a Wishaw? They're both at the same level. Of the I alphabet. want Ray Winston and Ben Wishaw in a buddy cop movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really not certain we should be um, maybe not uh, doing this. Um, is this a terribly good idea? Shut your um, trap and get a back of the motor. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I for Frank Spitz, it was. Um, I, I didn't know. I just thought Winston in this film somehow. Man, he's another top man. We're, we've got a table of top men. We've already said that, man. He's up there. I want because um, everyone's got these lovely clipped kind of accents and they're all sweet and it's gentle last the summer whiny and frank spittle comes oh, oh. spittle spittle by name spittle by nature oh, by nature <laughs> you toilet <laughs> so that's that's right he's, he's in he's in he's man in. okay great yeah so yeah i didn't have for anyone ruth? else uh, for ruth uh, emily watson i thought would be lovely oh lovely she's just yes. amazing and then uh for jenny frankie corio from after some because one oh, of the best she's... young actors, one of the best actors. It doesn't have to put an age to that man. One of the best actors I've ever seen and is age appropriate for the role. Effing fantastic in that movie. That is a fantastic movie. No, oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's oh, very it's good. I nearly good. sort of welled up just saying, yes, it's good. So that's kind of how yeah. good it is, I think, actually, man. Yeah, it's proper. And she is so, um, she'd be so good at showing that uh, enthusiasm that Maurice has and mirroring yes. it and just getting so swept up in, in, in the fun that her and her dad are having, you know. And directors? Uh, I've, I was thinking Joe Cornish would do quite a good job of this. Actually, yeah, I think man. I think he would because he would. He's really good at um, uh, showing the enthusiasm of childhood and the way mm. that children um, fairly authentically act together as well. He's good at like capturing kids. <laughs> oh, no, rephrase that. <laughs> rephrase <laughs> Joe that. Cornish is not good at capturing kids. Cornballs. What are you yeah. up to? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, no, he's very good at getting that uh, yeah. that energy and making it feel legitimate. Stuff. Yeah, and if so I'd scale be... that up, which I'm sure he could, to the age-appropriate um, actors. That would be a good translation. I like that. I've only got one. Um, I've got Jean-Pierre Junet. Ah. did Emily in a very long engagement and uh, Mick Max and stuff like that. I, I, obviously, I think he's a fantastic director, but he he can certainly bring the exuberance and the fun and the manic energy. As and well like, as the heaviness of like a very long engagement, yes, which exactly. is yeah. very impactful at the same time as having all of his, um, uh, yeah. all of the things that we recognise. I can about imagine him. the thought, especially in a very long engagement, and also the uh, Amelie, the way it's shot, the kind of the romanticism 
that he puts into his scenes. Like, obviously, in Amelie, Paris has never looks like that, <laughs> you know. But so, but like, he brings some of that this... to the the town of Follows Well, yeah. man, and that'd be lovely. And like, I can see that uh, the way that he would track his early first morning journey that we take mm. take uh, take with him, man. I think that Genet would do a really good job of and that. And the yeah. design and detail that he would put into the contraptions that oh. Maurice makes. You know what I mean? He would, it would be, he's got a real um, Heath Robinson style to his design work, I think, where everything's kind of strange and overly designed and overly complicated to do simple tasks. Yeah, yeah. Jean-Pierre Jeunet would be quite nice with that. And he would bring in a lovely, innocent tone. I think he'd really like the character of Maurice. You'd, you'd know that the director loves his character. Yep. Doesn't see any badness in him. Just sees... Yeah, or see him as a fool or anything yeah, like no, that. Exactly. I don't want yes, that. I want him meant. to be celebrated, not mocked at all. I want yes. it to, his enthusiasm as this beautiful thing, man, that needs to be nurtured, not uh, yeah laughed at or anything like that. Cool. I really, really enjoyed that. That's fantastic. Did you have any other ideas for Harbour Vision? It was tough, my friend, really hard. I was going to pitch it as um, someone trying to sell uh, Sonar and it was going to be a Coen Brothers-esque kind of like the guy who's trying to sell dry cleaning in... um... The man who wasn't there? Oh, the man who wasn't there. Sorry, man who wasn't there. That's exactly right. Thank you. (laughs) And it was going to be the um, life of this inventor who always comes up with these beautiful inventions, but he gets pipped to the post at every patent that he tries to uh, put in. It was going to be like this, um, a simple man-esque tale of his failures. Did you have any um, ideas on Dream Harder? Yes, I did actually thinking about it, man. Shall we do a couple of our... Other idea time? Yeah. Is that where okay. we're sli- slipping into now, sir? Yeah, no, we could do that. I mean, my harbour vision is very slight. <laughs> Arguably, as was mine, sir, so that's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> my harbour vision was um, set during a war. I won't say which one because I don't know. But maybe on this island, this lighthouse, which is manned by people that have gone to war and they're not coming back or they... You get the news back that some of them are dying and some, and this lighthouse is then gets taken over by the women that are left behind and the, the old people and the, the, just to keep this lighthouse going, to set these signals up so that as to herald um, these people back in. And it's a kind of how a village, a community in a fishing village or whatever it is, do all that they can do um, to survive or to keep going and keep the spirit of what made that community or what made that spirit um, alive pre-war so it goes through the war and it's it's just about the basically the everyday manning of the lighthouse i like that a lot that's lovely man again uh just aside from the uh uh the 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 time it is in and all the things happening around it another positive story man about continuity yeah. and uh uh, not losing hope. I like that, yes. man. We've had a very hopeful uh, podcast uh, this week. We have, haven't it's we? great, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. Let's keep getting out so, uh, out of bed on this side, whichever one it was this morning. Yeah, I think we should. It's been very hopeful. What about uh, Dream Harder? This is where it goes dark. Yeah, it? Dream Harder about a bunch of kids get killed. Uh, <laughs> <In their> dreams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really hard. Uh, they're they're dead hard. Elm Street 12, yeah. Dream Harder. Well, Dude, I mean, how can I not? Obviously, I, you've just heard uh, Harbour Vision, so I, I'm a literalist, if nothing else, man. <laughs> uh, dream harder. So I was like, right, 
I'm thinking like there's I've got a couple of tight like again like sentences if that like it's a group of like new age enthusiasts uh, who turn their hands to like lucid dreaming mm-hmm. and a really fierce competition grows between them like the time that they made try to make like the best kombucha from scratch kind of a thing but it gets really <laughs> okay. toxic uh, and we start to get a flatliners style people pushing themselves to the limit okay. and like you've got the creepy guy who's like going around doing terrible things when he's lucid dreaming and spying on people and they have to rally round to stop this like evil yet expert lucid dreamer and they have to combine their powers to fight him off kind of a thing so we'll go flatliners but dreams basically i like that that's great so that i guess should we pick some horses for next week? Oh, heavens, we're at, we're at horse pickery already, man. Absolutely. I think we're at horse pickery. Roll up the um, nags. I'm also getting a bit peckish. And this week coming up, to, not to timestamp it, but I'm just about to, on the 15th of, uh, of April, Saturday the 15th, uh, is the Grand National. So we better we better pick some horses from that. What we could do, should we, we could do something different. I think we should. We could do the same horse, but pick two different genres. Or we could pick the same horse. I like that. How would the genres work? So I would, we'd both pick the same horse. I would give you the genre and you would give me my genre. Yes. Okay, let's do that. Fantastic choices here, man. Right, so so mm-hmm. how are we picking then? There's one called Fury Road. <laughs> I'm going to do that. <laughs> oh, done. done. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Hill 16. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, not everything has to be about fucking Vietnam. What is with you? <laughs> Is there any that like, leap out of you? Yes. Uh, I <laughs> I quite like, uh, but this is probably just because we talked about Ray Winston, but I like the big dog. The big dog. Mortal, that's quite open. Yeah, I, I got, Mortal was pretty good. That yeah. jumped out of me. Um, I'm, I'm happy with uh, the big dog or Mortal. Uh, let's go Mortal. Okay. So for the Grand National special episode that we will record next week, um, we will both do mortal, and for you, your genre is going to be. Is that too easy? I don't. Know. Well, we'll see. Comic book superhero. Okay, comic book superhero. Okay, right. Wait, I'm going to make some notes on this stuff. Although that is that is, comic book doesn't necessarily mean superhero. So maybe I should pick one or the other. Uh, no, that's true. Superhero. Yep. Superhero. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. So okay. Oh, bang goes the hard-boiled Frank Miller-esque mortal <laughs> yes, that I was going to tell. Thanks, Graham. <laughs> and his Chevy with a big trunk. <laughs> and my mitts. Okay, superhero. I like that, man. Okay, <laughs> okay uh, yours is going to be gangster film. A gangster film. <clears throat> okay. Is that, is that, sorry, is that an appropriate genre? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Gangster okay. genre called mortal. Okay, I got this. And I'll tell you what we'll do. If you're up for it, we will put £20 on Mortal to win oh. e- each way. And if it does, it goes to a charity of our choice. I think that's an absolutely fantastic idea, man. Damn right. Okay. And we will select the charity near the time, because I can't think of one off the top of my head. I've got a few ideas. Yeah, yeah, but we'll we'll do some due diligence, man. And mm-hmm. uh, absolutely, that sounds like a really, really uh, lovely idea. And goes with a positive theme that uh, this whole exactly. episode has uh, has carried through, man. Lovely. Okay, so next week we will be recording Mortal. Both have the same horse, but two different genres. Mortal. Superhero. Gangster. Gangster. Mortal, who is a superhero gangster. Wait a minute, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't get our wires crossed. 
Fantastic, Matt. That sounds like a great plan. Shake things okay. up. Let's see what we do. That sounds brilliant. In honour of the uh, Grand National, let's do it. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, I have had a lovely time talking about our happy films, Dream oh, Harder and Harbour Vision. And absolutely. they were kind of happy and euphoric, but for me, it's because the, the spring is here. That's it, man. Sunshine. Changing. Sunshine makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah, proper man. job, man. Well, it's lovely to hear, my man, and I'm very mm. glad you're doing well. And until we meet next week, I guess that nothing left for us to say except for goodbye, take care of each other, and uh, look after yourselves as well, and fill your days with nothing but happiness and joy. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, be happy, everyone, and thank you kindly for uh, letting us uh, take you into the Mind Cinema once more. Appreciate it. <laughs> See you next week for some more Mind Cinema fun. Ta-ta. Bye! Well... There we have it. Another episode of Racehorse Movies is over. We both hope you had as much fun listening as we did coming up with these films and recording our pitches. If you enjoyed this, please share it around with your friends and loved ones. If it wasn't your thing, I don't know, maybe share it with someone you miffed with. Who knows? If it's not for them either, maybe you two can build some bridges over that connection. But if you did like picking up what we put down and you fancy checking out some more content from us, and head over to theneverpress.com to take a gander at our novels, poetry, and other bits and bobs. Anyway, that's about enough from us. Hope to have you back next time for some friendly chats and barely thought-through pitches at Racehorse Movies. Ta-ta! Ta-ta!